0: A Dios acudí, mi angustia escuchó, de aguas profundas me rescata. Llegó mi clamor a su palacio de ca. Welcome, thank you for tuning in. Today is week two of Making Our House a Home. Uh, Making Our House a Home is a yearly campaign that we run here at Crossbridge in order to remind ourselves that God has placed us here to be a spiritual home for those who do not yet have a spiritual home here in Miami. And we know that if that's going to become a reality, if that's going to come into fruition, that uh, we can't do it alone. It takes all of us. So each year, we ask you to commit of your time, your talents, and your treasures in order to make this a reality, in order to make this house a home. So if you haven't filled your commitment card yet, the link is going to be in the comment section. You can also aim your phone at the screen to this QR code that you see. And that way, you're able to partner with us in that which God is doing through Crossbridge in the city of Miami. Now, you don't even need to be a member of Crossbridge, a formal member of Crossbridge, but if God is calling you in that direction to partner with us, do that, do so. I remember in the early days of Crossbridge, Beth and I, we were leading a community group at our house. There's about 12 couples or so. And like we do with every new group, you know, we're going through a round of introductions. And we asked each couple to state their names, to tell us where they're from, and to share something that's unique about them. So Beth and I, we obviously go first. Then the following couple, you know, they state their names. They say where they're from. They share something unique about them. The next couple does the same. You know, we have about four or five couples that go and turn and they share unique things about themselves such as, you know, I have two kids, we have two kids, but we have three dogs, right? And, and we met at the hospital while I was injured and she was the nurse. And then we get to about like the fifth or sixth couple, I don't remember exactly the number, but they state their names and then the wife goes, our marriage sucks, it's horrible. This is the worst season of our lives And we are here because we have hope and we're here for help. When they said that, for about 15 seconds, you could hear a pin drop in the room. Then everybody was able to take a breath and we were like, whoa, there's some real people right there. Real people. And then, when they did that, everyone else is just going, but hey, I want to share something about our lives and a struggle that we have and we're going through, something that's happening in the lives of our child. And it just opened the door for those relationships to develop and to grow and for change and impact to take place in the lives of those couples, which did happen that semester. See, we need realness. We need realness. See, realness allows for relationships to flourish and to grow. You can't flourish in a context of dishonesty. You need realness. And realness opens the door, the doors for hope. See, we want to be a church cross-bridge. We want to be a church where we're characterized by realness. Now, we all know that we are far from being the perfect church, but we're striving to be a real church where we can be honest. Like when you walk into your home where you can let your hair down, where, you know, you, you can put like a, a t-shirt that's filled with stains and sit on the couch and things don't need to be in its proper place, but yet you feel at home because that's a real place. We want Crossbridge to be a place like that for the people of Miami. And In order to encourage us in that direction, I want to share with you from a passage in the book of Acts. We're going to read today from Acts chapter 8, verses 16 through 39. As as you know, during this series, we're sharing uh, from the book of Acts. So today, Acts 8, 16 through 39. Read it with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, uh, the queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears it's silent so he opens not his mouth In his humiliation justice was denied him What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his own way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. What can make us this place, this community that's characterized by realness. Four things. A missional hospitality. Secondly, a humble presence. Thirdly, a safe place for seekers. And then fourthly, where people can experience the hope and the joy of the gospel. Let's go to first a missional hospitality. Uh, We're reading from the book of Acts, and the book of Acts records the movement of the early church after Jesus' ascension into heaven. It actually starts with Jesus' ascension, but then it tells us what happens with the followers of Jesus after Jesus ascends into heaven. And in this book, we have a radical change from how... Uh, People used to seek and to experience God in the past. The early church changed the paradigm, shifted the paradigm of what it meant to seek God and to experience God from their background religion, which was Judaism. See, in the past, if you wanted to experience God, if you wanted to know God, if you wanted to hear from God, you had to go to Jerusalem. And you had to go into the temple where the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. Uh, The the people of Israel, they uh, were commanded by God to be a light to the foreign nations. They were to invite others into the house of God. In the temple in Israel, there was uh, a patio in the temple of Jerusalem that was the patio for the Gentiles where they were invited to seek and to pray to the God of the Bible. Now, with the coming of Christ, through the work and the ministry of Jesus, with the foundation of formation of his church, of his people, it's, the shift changes from inviting people into the house of God to taking the house of God out to all of the people. So in the beginning of the book of Acts of the Apostle, right there in chapter 2, We have the Holy Spirit of God descending upon the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, the apostles of Jesus, and them taking that Shekinah glory of God out into the streets where they invite people of all tribes and nations into the household of God. And uh, we read right there in Acts 2 that Peter stands up in the middle of the crowd during the festival of Pentecost, and he preaches a sermon where 3,000 people, many of them Gentiles from different nations, are welcomed into the household of God. They are fulfilling the commandment of Jesus right in the beginning of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Samaria and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. And that's why this angel of the Lord shows up to Philip in a a specific day where he was probably going about his own business and asked him to rise and to go. And that's why Philip obeys. Verses 26 and 27. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And in in 27 we read, and he rose and went. He obeyed because... uh, God never calls anyone into his fellowship, into his family, into his household, into his home without the intention of sending them out. And so Philip goes. And, and the text tells us that he goes to this desert place. And I find this really intriguing. Sends him out into the desert place without describing to him what the mission was all about before. The Spirit of God tells him to connect with this Ethiopian eunuch. He just sends him to the location where he ought to be, the desert. I think about the, uh, the vision and the mission of Crossbridge. See, God has placed us in this desert city. And you're hearing that, and you're like, this city is not a desert, Pastor. We have beaches. There's a lot of water around us. We have palm trees, beautiful weather, beautiful people. This city is not a desert. But the Bible uh, gives us this desert metaphor so that we may understand that this world is not made to be home for us. We cannot be sustained. Our souls, our spirits, our hearts cannot be sustained. Our lives cannot be sustained by this world. And I, I, I think of Miami as a desert because uh, a desert is not a place that you go to, to be, you travel through. This is what this character, this person here is doing in this passage. He is going back home. He had come to Jerusalem, but he is returning home. He's passing through the desert. It's a transient place. I think that Miami is a very transient city. One of the hardest things about doing ministry here in Miami is the fact that people are always coming and going. And we are also uh, live in a very dry city. That's why I compare it to a desert as well. This is one of the most unchurched cities in the country where people are spiritually homeless. And the vision behind uh, our efforts in planting new churches and renewing churches and uh, bringing them together as a family in the different neighborhoods of Miami, is because of that. It's because we are uh, called by God to take his hospitality, to extend his hospitality to people that are spiritually homeless. That's what we're trying to do right now with this online ministry. You know, the online space is a desert as well. You cannot expect... To sustain yourself, your soul, your heart, your mind from the online world. You will actually die if you try to get sustenance, spiritual sustenance, emotional sustenance from the online space. But that's where everybody is at and God is sending us there. And that's why we're making more and more investments to go where people are at. We're called by God to extend his hospitality to wherever people are at that do not yet have a spiritual home. That's what we're doing. We are exercising missional hospitality. But we're also exercising humble presence. We're called to exercise humble presence. See, the Spirit sends Christians to everywhere there is people. And that's why city ministry is so important because in cities you have more people than plants, there's a higher concentration of, of, of those who are created in the image of God, and therefore, we ought to be where people are at. We read here in the book of Acts of the Apostles that, you know, that um, the, the disciples, they almost ignore the countryside, and their focal point for ministry is, is, is the largest cities or the largest cities of the Greco-Roman world. That's where Paul goes, that's where Peter goes to plant churches. Uh, The only reason why Philip finds himself here in the desert is because there is a divine appointment with a key individual that God will utilize to bring a whole people to him. So in verse 29, uh, the Spirit of God who sends us, who sends the church, who sends the followers of Christ to wherever people are at, says to um, Philip the following, I want you to go over and join this chariot. There's this chariot riding through the desert with this uh, Ethiopian eunuch. the Spirit of God says, I I want you to run and catch up to the chariot. And I want you to run alongside or walk alongside. I don't know what speed they were going, but uh, the Spirit is very clear that Philip is to uh, trek alongside that chariot. Church, we are called... To walk alongside people and it's not about our pace so we're not asking people to follow our pace we're called to walk alongside them in their pace that's what this text is showing us I mean if you're to run with your child you are not going to ask your child to run at your pace you are going to slow down and catch up to your child's pace I remember uh, when I was training for a marathon a long time ago. I used to run. I I, I don't run anymore. Now I have bad knees. But there was an experienced marathon runner that said, hey, I'll I'll help you train. And uh, I was running with him uh, probably the first or the second time. And I noticed that, you know, we were going pretty slow, probably like eight or nine miles an hour. And I said, do you run this slow? (laughs) And he says, of course not but that's where I'm getting you started, right? He was adjusting to my pace so that I eventually can catch up to his pace. He was training, he was preparing me, and we're called to do that. We're called to do that with people that are different from us. It's easy for us to walk alongside those who look like us, who speak like we speak, who vote like us, it's very hard to walk alongside people who are very different from us. And this is always going to be a challenge in a city as diverse as us, as our city, because we have uh, very different ethnic groups around us. But God yet is calling us to walk alongside everybody. And we must make an effort to get out of our comfort zone and walk alongside people that are different from us as well. I Look at this this passage look at all the different barriers that Philip had to overcome in order to build a relationship with this man with this man they lived in a time where people like Philip did not spend time or hang out with people like this Ethiopian eunuch Uh, First, there was an economic barrier. We read about it in the passage. We read in the passage that uh, in his chariot, he is sitting down and reading a copy of the book of Isaiah. It's a scroll that he's reading. And, you know, obviously, if you were able to own a piece of literature like that in that ancient world, that meant that you were very wealthy because that was a very expensive piece of work. See, the copies of books of the Bible, they were translated by hand. So this was a very rare thing, and this man uh, had one, which meant that he was very wealthy. But we also learned uh, that he was of a different race. He was Ethiopian, he was African. He was a black man and that he was a eunuch. What's a eunuch? I've been saying this throughout the the beginning of the sermon, this part of the sermon, and you're like, what is is a eunuch? A eunuch was somebody that uh, was a steward of great goods within the royal space of a nation or a country, but they were not family. They were not part of the royal family. They did not have royal blood. And in order for them to be trusted with the harem, with the women uh, uh, of of the kingdom, uh, for them to be trusted with uh, the wealth of the king or the queen, they would castrate them for two reasons. First, uh, because uh, that way they would not be tempted and uh, taken advantage of the royal harem, for instance, But also, I think it's it's probably what's happening here in this case, is that by being castrated, uh, they would uh, be able to do away with the temptation of stealing goods because they could not pass down to their inheritance, because they could not leave an inheritance. And so because of his responsibilities, which the text tells us he was a court official of Candace, Uh, the queen of the Ethiopians, and he was in charge of all her treasure. He was probably, uh, you know, the second most important person in in that Ethiopian kingdom. Uh, He was was, uh, castrated, and he was a eunuch. And so here is Philip, who is a Greek Jew, a Greek-speaking Jew, spending time building a relationship with a wealthy, sexually altered black Gentile. Think about that. These people would normally not spend time together, hang out. The only reason why this is taking place is because the Spirit of God, through the gospel of Jesus, intends to form a very unique community that would become a powerful witness of the love of God to the world of those days. And that's what the church became, a diverse community where the races were at each other's throats outside. Within the context of the church, like I said last week, they were calling each other brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. They were treating each other as family. And that was so intriguing yet so compelling for the world back in those days, it was the witness of the Christian church, that type of diversity that impacted and transformed the world of their days. And it's this type of witness that the church is still called to exercise today. You know, one of the beautiful things about Crossbridge is the diversity of our church. It's so exciting to see the type of community that God is forming among us. And when you take into consideration all the different cross-bridge campuses throughout the city, each campus is in a unique neighborhood with a unique demographic. And when you put everything together, man, we see, you see that we are multi-everything. We're not just multi-site, but we're multi-ethnic, we're uh, multi-class, we are uh, multi-generational. And when we ask you to participate in this mission of building a home for the people of Miami, that's what we're asking you to build, this unique family where people from all walks of life, from all races, from all classes are welcomed. But it requires a humble presence. It requires proximity. We can't expect to impact our city at a distance. That's why the Spirit sends Philip. That's why the Spirit is sending us. We have to be where people are at. We have to be where people are at and we have to be with people that are different from us. Who are the people right now that you despise? Who are the people right now that you could not imagine doing life with? God is trying to shift that paradigm in your heart and he's calling you to leave, he's calling you to, to, uh, to, to leave this place of comfort towards a place of discomfort so that we would see this community come about. This is what Crossbridge is all about. We want to exercise a humble presence in our city. But we also want to be a safe space or a safe place for seekers. I love Philip's posture here in this passage of how he treats this Ethiopian eunuch, this man that's different from him in every single way. He treats him with great respect and humility. In verse 30, as he is running alongside the chariot, or he's walking, or, or, or he's fast walking. I don't know what he's doing there, but or, or I don't know his space. But he, he looks up to that man, and, and he, in essence, asks him the question, how can I help you? Do you understand what you're reading? In other words, how can I help you? He could have said, hey, let me tell you what this passage is all about. I'm gonna tell you the truth in this text and what you must do, you know, and what God requires of you, right, in order to bless you. Let me tell you the truth. No, he starts from a posture of humility, a, a posture of a servant. He says, how, how, can I, how can I help you? And because, listen, because he takes on this posture of humility. Because he starts with how can I help you, he is invited in to the chariot. Because he does that, the man says, why don't you, why don't you come up? Let's get close. Get up. Church, we have to earn the right to be heard. We are not here to, uh, you know, make people swallow our beliefs. We're not here to shove our beliefs down people's throats. We are here, obviously, to bring the truth, but that has to come within a posture of servanthood. We have to earn our right to be heard. People, listen... People rarely get argued into belief. People are loved into belief. I remember a few years ago here at Crossbridge baptizing a Chinese woman. She had come as an exchange scholar at the University of Miami, and the brothers and sisters from our Chinese community reached out to her like they do to many others. You know, she came from atheistic China. She was an atheist herself, and That very day, she was being baptized because through that ministry, she had come to faith in Christ. And I remember asking her on stage, in this very stage, I said, so who was able to explain to you the gospel? Who is the great apologist in the Chinese community? And she said, no one. What drew me to Jesus what drew me to the Christian faith was not only the way in which I observed of how they loved one another, but the way in which they received me, the way in which they extended their hospitality to me, the way in which they loved me. And it made me wonder, this may actually be real. And it turns out that it is real, and that's why I want to be baptized today. See, uh, Church, we want to be a church where people are free to ask questions. We want to be a church that is safe for those who doubt. We want to be patient with people's spiritual journey. We don't want to force the pace because, at the end of the day, we all believe that salvation is by grace we can posture ourselves as instruments of God to extend his welcome to people so that they may experience fellowship with God. But at the end of the day, it's the Spirit of God. That's what we read in this passage. It's the Spirit of God that does all the work. It's the Spirit of God that sends us. It's the Spirit of God that calls. It's the Spirit of God that opens the heart like we read last week from Acts 16 in the case of Lydia. It's the Spirit of God that does the work. Our job is to be hospitable. Our job is to exercise proximity, to have presence in people's lives. Our job is to create a safe space where they can ask questions and doubts. You know why it's important that we create this space here at Crossbridge? You know why this church is so important for the city of Miami as a safe place where people can ask questions? Because questions and doubts are absolutely necessary for faith. It's the other side of the coin of belief. It's doubts, especially for a robust faith and especially for a robust robust belief. The people that ask the deepest questions, oftentimes the people with the greatest doubts become the strongest believers. We see that in the Bible. For instance, Nathaniel, right there in the beginning of the Gospel of John, he was somebody that questioned the Messiah. Yet Jesus said to him, you will see unbelievable things. You will see greater things than what you are hearing and seeing right now. And then we have the account of Thomas. After Jesus had been raised from the dead and he's in a room with his disciples, the resurrected Christ is eating and conversing with his followers and yet Thomas thinks that that is a ghost that's there. That's a hallucination probably. He is questioning, he's doubting and Jesus notices that um, stream of doubt in his mind and his heart and invites him over and says, you can touch, you can come close and touch. Jesus doesn't reprimand him for his doubts. How dare you doubt? You know it is I. I spent, you know, three years with you and I told you about all of these things that would happen and take place and now you're questioning and doubting me. But he doesn't. He says, come close, touch And out of that great doubter came the greatest confession of faith. Most biblical scholars would would agree. He says, my Lord and my God. So if you are a doubter, if you are asking questions, this is a safe place for you. Wherever you may find yourself in your spiritual journey, we want to walk alongside you. But we want to encourage you not to be content with your questions and your doubts, but to keep moving on, to keep on trekking on that spiritual road, that spiritual journey, which we are, by the way, like I said, walking alongside you. Eventually, eventually, you'll see the oasis. And that's what he sees here, right? Uh, As they are conversing and and as uh, Philip is explaining the message of Jesus to this eunuch, he spots an oasis in the desert. You know, obviously, that is leading us to the last point, which is the idea that we want this to be a place where people are able to experience the hope and the joy of the gospel. In, in verse uh, 35 after Philip earns the right to be heard. And and actually, I'm going to read it to you because this is what it says. Look, then Philip opened his mouth after he was invited into the chariot because he approached it with a posture of respect and humility. He was invited, and now he opens his mouth. And he doesn't waste any time. The text tells us that he doesn't spend his time giving that man, good advice of how to read and study that book, he goes straight to the good news. He doesn't waste time with good advice. He goes straight to good news. Then Philip opened his mouth, verse 35 still, and beginning with scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. For the very first time, that intriguing passage of Isaiah that that man was reading Began to make sense. For the very first time, that man heard the good news of God. He heard the gospel because that's what the gospel means. The gospel means good news. He heard it for the very first time. He heard God welcoming him. The gospel became real to him. He heard it in two ways. First, he heard from Philip as Philip explained and pointed out Jesus in the Old Testament scripture, starting from Isaiah. Because, by the way, the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is not about moral principles that we must adopt into our lives. The Bible is about receiving the good news that the Savior of God for the world has come in the person of Jesus. Every passage in the Old Testament and the New Testament points to Jesus. So that's what Philip does. And in that particular passage that they're reading from the book of Isaiah, he's able to show to that Ethiopian eunuch that Jesus identified with him. That is a passage that speaks of a man that uh, was not able to leave any heirs to leave no descendants because his lost, he lost his life at a very early age. And it's obviously referring to Jesus. See, the greatest sacrifice that that um, Ethiopian eunuch had to make for his work was to give up descendants. In order to have that position, he had to give up the ability to leave descendants on this earth. And it was a, an issue of great shame for him, as you could imagine, in a culture that highly valued community and family. Where the value of the individual was ascribed by his family, by his clan. And because of his position, he had to give up descendants. But he's saying, you know, Jesus understands your pain. Jesus understands your shame because he lost his life at a very early age. He died at the age of 33 and he did not leave any earthly descendants. You know, a lot of people have a hard time believing that God can understand their pain, their shame, whatever they've been through or whatever they've been going through in their lives. And this is the difference between the gospel and all other religions because the gospel assures us and reassures us time over time that the God of Christianity understands every pain, understands every moment of suffering. He understands what it means to live the lives that we live because he himself felt all those Pains in his own life. In the epistle to the Hebrews in chapter 14, um, the writer of Hebrews writes this, and this is from the message version We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He has been through weakness and testing, experience it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. Man, that was so refreshing for that man. It was as he was able to find in his desert soul an oasis at that very moment. Wow. The God of this Bible, the God of Christianity, he understands what I'm going through because he himself went through that. That was so liberating for him to listen and to hear that God had empathy empathy towards him. But then secondly, he hears the good news in another way. Not only does Philip explain to him the fact that Jesus identifies with him in his pain and his shame, but that Jesus became his substitute. See, the reason why Jesus was not able to live a long life the, the reason why he was cut short, he did not leave any descendants, earthly descendants on earth, was so that people like this Ethiopian eunuch would have his hope, hopes restored and he would be able to be a fruitful tree. Just a few chapters later, and I'm sure Philip went in this passage, in Isaiah 56, 65, we read this promise. Check this out. Isaiah 65, this is verses 3 through 5. This is the ESV version. Look, and let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Wow. Jesus was this man's substitute and he is our substitute. On the cross, he takes our dryness. On on the cross, he he takes our unfruitfulness. He He takes our sin. He takes our shame. So that we could be restored and honor it. And uh, we can find hope for a fruitful life, for a flourishing life. Jesus was his substitute. He is our substitute. And at that very moment, I'm sure that when that man heard the gospel, the gospel became real to him. Because there's a difference between knowing the truth of the gospel and actually experiencing the gospel. There's a, true, there's a difference between the gospel being true to us and being real to us. One thing is to know that honey is sweet, and another thing is to taste the sweetness of honey. This is something that Jonathan Edwards used to say. And when somebody experiences the gospel, it's because that truthful understanding of the gospel drops from the mind to the heart and it, it explodes, generating this contagious joy that comes out of our life. How does the passage end? The passage, the passage ends with this man's joy. He was coming back from a very disappointing trip. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. We know that because of who he was and the, cert, and the sexual The sex-altering surgery that he had gone through, he was not able to enter into the temple. And so he was coming back very disappointed and frustrated. And at that very moment, he experiences God's welcome into his life. And he understands Jesus' identification with him and substitution for him. And now he explodes with joy. The last thing that we read is that he went on his way rejoicing. The gospel had become real to him. Let me say something to you today. If you lack joy in your life, is because the gospel is not real to you. Because one of the signs that the gospel is actually real to us is that it produces great joy in our lives. And we know what this man did with this joy, this contagious joy. He goes back, he goes back to Ethiopia, which... It would probably be modern day Sudan. It was in a different space and location than it is today. And he becomes a fruitful tree there. Obviously, we know that he was not able to leave earthly descendants, but he leaves many spiritual sons and daughters. He is the father of what we know today as the Coptic church, the Coptic. Christians. Jesus restored the hope for fruitfulness in his life through someone that was obedient, to be missionally hospitable, to be humbly present, and to be a safe space where someone like this Ethiopian eunuch could seek and could ask questions. I think about Miami, a hundred years from now. And I think about what our presence and our hospitality here today may bring to our future, to the future of this city. Imagine the impact that we could have if we continue to extend God's welcome in more neighborhoods of the city, if more people. Find their welcome in God's household through Jesus Christ, through our ministry here in Miami. Imagine the impact that we can have in the future. And we know that we cannot do it alone. And that's why we're inviting you to be a part of it as well. We're inviting you to invest of your time, of your talents, and your treasures so that we can make this house a home for the spiritual homeless of our city. May God bless you today. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, we are grateful that because of Jesus, we are welcomed into your household. Uh, Father, allow us to uh, take to heart this strong calling that you have placed in our lives. Uh, Father, may we uh, be a people that's missionally hospitable here in Miami, that's humbly present amongst the people of Miami. Father, may we be a safe place where people can seek and ask questions and where they can experience the hope and the joy of the gospel in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.